I'm taking the keys to this apartment because I'll be checking on you. And if I find the girl in here with you, whether she came of her own free will or not, I'll kill you. Do you doubt anything I've said? Do you doubt what's in the reports that have followed me around all my life? What do they say? They say I'm insane. No, it's okay. You can nod because it's true. I am insane. I know it's going to be hard for you to abide by my rules. The abstinence is hard most of all. So I'm going to make it easier for you. Lie still. I've never done this before. And there will be blood. She wanted to do was get away to a quiet country cottage to write her novel in peace. She wasn't asking for trouble, but it found her anyway when a group of depraved men advanced on her with evil on their minds. Brutalized, violated, and left for dead, she swore revenge, and when the time was right, exacted her bloody retribution. In this episode, we'll talk about a particularly disturbing type of film subgenre made popular in the 70s known as rape revenge. We'll take a look at what makes these films both appealing and appalling, asking the question of whether a movie subgenre characterized by brutal rape and bloody murder should be looked at as empowering feminist horror, gross exploitation, or maybe somewhere in between. Join us today on Slums of Film History as we take Rape Revenge. Slums of Film History, a lowbrow look into the high art of cinema. Every episode is an in-depth look into a niche topic of film that is not normally discussed in polite company. I'm Slate. And I'm Tom. And each week, one of us researches our respective topic, writes an episode, and then schools the other. We discuss everything from black exploitation to ethnically inclusive street gangs to backwater hick rapists. If there's a film subject too taboo, we haven't found it yet. Welcome. Hey, I'm going to hijack this real quick before we get started. We need a favor. We're preparing for season four, and we'd love to hear your ideas about topics in the future. So here's what we're asking. Go to iTunes. It's super simple. Find us on the podcast section and where it says ratings and reviews. Instead of rating and reviewing us, just give us some topic ideas. You can type the films of Richard Kern or incest movies, really anything you think would make a good episode. We'll read all of your comments, and if we pick your topic, we'll shout you out and be indebted to you forever or something. Okay, now back to the episode.
Hey, Slate. Hi, Tom. How's it going? Yeah, pretty good. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. You got anything to put out before we get this thing going? You know I do. Of course. As we said before, we've gotten so much feedback and so many people are reaching out to us. So we thought we would pick a little bit about maybe the exploitation episode that I did and talk about some of the feedback we got oh, from it. So we got a correction from our listener, Daniel, who said, Bully is one of my favorite movies. It's mm-hmm. the Larry Clark movie. Yeah. And he said, it's based on a crime that happened in his hometown of Hollywood, Florida, which is right in the middle of Miami and Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. He says, while it's true they lure their victim to the edge of the Everglades, I said that they were Everglades trash, <laughs> which is like a suburb of Weston. Yeah. They're not quite Everglades trash. They're just plain Florida trash from Hollywood, Florida. It's good so, we clarified yeah. that. Yeah, yep, it's good. good. From our friends over at the Badasses Boobs and Body Counts podcast, oh, wow. uh, Mike Murphy, mm-hmm. he loved the episode on exploitation and especially talking about the hills have eyes. But they actually did an episode on Gummo a couple of years ago, and hmm. they actually had one of the film primaries as a guest, Nick Sutton. Oh, wow. So I've already put that on my list. I've been a little crazy trying to get to the end of this podcast, but that's next on my podcast list. And yeah. I'm going to put it up on the website for all of our listeners to be able to listen to. I cannot yeah. wait because I, I love Gummo. That yeah, that's, yeah, same here. One other thing just to mention is I watched Tucker and Dale. I think it's streaming on Netflix. Yeah. And you had told me about it. And a lot of people were like, how could you have not seen Tucker and Dale? And you did a whole episode on exploitation haven't even seen the movie. And so yeah. I watched it. I really enjoyed it. Did you? It was really good. It was pretty funny. I'm glad that you had seen it and kind of talked through it because you know it was important for the episode and i had just been like i don't know it's a movie is it good i don't know and you were like it's actually really important for this episode so right. yeah, yeah. it's fun yeah it's a fun really movie good i'm good. glad you liked it mm-hmm. all right let's talk about rape revenge oh, i'm Jesus. nervous yeah i am too this is a deep topic so let me start from the beginning here so before we even get into this whole horrible topic i want to point out something that throughout the course of this podcast you and i have sort of gravitated to different overall themes mm-hmm. and things we want to talk about yours has been mostly about biographies you know you've talked about doris wishman william Castle, Russ Meyer, and mine have been what I like to call uh, the revenge saga. Mm -hmm. So certain topics that deal with revenge and vengeance. My first one was Hooker Vengeance in season one, which you and I debated about whether that was a thing or a Mm subgenre, and I lost. And then the second one was Vigilante Vets about Mm -hmm. veterans coming back and fighting street thugs and shit. And now this time is rape revenge, which there's plenty of work that's been done on this. Like there's plenty of uh, analysis and people have talked about yeah, this. So, so there's huge a lot, topic in film, huge you know, film topic history. in film, very controversial topic in film. So I was like, how can I leave this out? Yeah, sure. I'm glad you're doing it. So we're going to, you know, tread lightly, but we're definitely going to talk about this one. And a lot of these movies are exploitive as fuck. So of course oh, we yeah. love to talk about exploitation. So here we go. Uh, But before we get started, I want to kind of define what rape revenge is for those people who don't know what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So rape revenge movies are a subgenre of exploitation film that was really popular in the 70s. And they generally fall into a like a three act structure. Act one would be a character is raped slash gang raped, tortured and left for dead. Act two, the character survives and or like rehabs themselves and plans their revenge. And then, of course, act three, the character takes revenge and or kills their rapist. Mm -hmm. That's usually or somebody else does it for them. But that's the same basic three act in these movies you know and if some case like i said if the main character dies when they're being assaulted or they're raped or whatever then in the last act the revenge is taken by somebody else family somebody member else, yeah. or somebody else avenges like, their death yeah like mm-hmm. for instance death wish or last house on the left and we'll talk about both of those so in saying all that i also want to set some ground rules too because there's a lot of rape revenge movies and there's plenty to talk about, and I do mix them up, but the ones that I really want to focus on for this podcast that I'm honing in on are the rape revenge films where the actual victim carries out the revenge 
in this the third act. Okay. You know, so instead of having somebody else do it for them, they're going to come back and kill the rapist or whatever. So that's my main focus, although I'll touch on these other films. Okay. And to get started, of course, I like to do what we always like to do, which is what we like more than talking about cinema is we like history. Uh-huh. Real life. Actually, yeah, real life. All right. So the first thing I could find is way, way back, and that is from... How far back is it? It's way back and it's from the bible genesis 34 also that is, that is known uh-huh. yeah also known as the rape of dinah hmm. so let me break this down for you so told in the book of genesis dinah is the daughter of jacob one of the patriarch of the israelites all right so she was raped by Sheshem, Sheshem, who's son of a canaanite prince or whatever anyway dinah's brothers when they find out about it her brothers simeon and levi they go like on this bloody revenge they killed Sheshem, they kill the father and they kill the whole fucking town Jeez. Well, basically all the males in town. And then they loot the place and they drop the mic and left. Wow. So first rape revenge thing I could find. Old Testament's pretty fucking hardcore, man. Yeah. So basically God wrote the template for rape revenge, rape revenge films. films. Yeah, it's yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Didn't see that coming. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Neither did, you know, Shechem or whatever. So my next example happens a few thousand years later, you know, a little bit closer to now. And the first film reference that I could find that was really a rape revenge film was one I've talked about before, which is The Red Kimono from 1925. Mm-hmm. Now, The Red Kimono was also a movie that came out in that time period of films that dealt with uh, the white slave trade because apparently that was a big fucking fear. Mm-hmm. So this movie is about a woman who escapes a bad home life with this handsome stranger who's very nice and promises her things only to find out that he's a pimp and he forces her into prostitution so of course she gets you know raped as a, a hooker. Uh, ultimately she ends up shooting the guy and escaping mm-hmm. and then of course the rest of the movie I think talks about her going to court and being cleared of it or whatever but it's the first rape revenge movie I could find. Interesting. Uh, it's also considered one of the most and I've said this before but it also is considered one of the most feminist movies in that it was written and produced and directed although uncredited by a woman oh wow a fun fact with that that i might have mentioned before but i'm gonna mention it again is that it was based on a real court case a real thing that happened in 1917 the film producers and trying to be you know as true to life as they possibly could use the woman's real name in the movie oh wow that it was based on of course she sued them yeah and i think that even started open up this fair. whole right to privacy type of thing mm-hmm. so anyway first rape revenge film i could find wow and as a slight aside i'm gonna mention this now the red kimono again was was produced by a woman which most of these other movies are all done by men mm-hmm. and i mentioned that in hooker vengeance so these are rape movies that are directed written and produced by men mm-hmm. there is one further down the road that may surprise you that i am going to talk to you that was written and directed by a woman but we'll get back to that yeah so the next movie i want to talk about is probably one of the most influential movies in this subgenre and in a lot of horror movies as well and that's the virgin spring from 1960 sure classic yeah and this is directed by ingmar bergman it's a black and white movie of course and the movie is set in medieval sweden and it's about a father's response to the rape of his young daughter. What happens is this young girl and her servant are traveling to church to bring candles or some shit. Along the way, they run into two men and this kid. The young girl, you know, she's very naive or whatever. The servant, I think, gets away because I think they harass the servant. Anyway, the young girl ends up getting raped and murdered by the men while the boy watches. Meanwhile, the men, you know, they grab her clothes and they run and they go to find some place to stay for the night. It turns mm-hmm. out it's that girl's parents' house. Right. They try to sell her clothes to them to make money. The mom realizes that that's her clothes because the daughter and the servant don't come back yet. So she, like, locks him in a room. Then the servant comes back to say, yes, these guys murdered, or your daughter raped and murdered her. And then the father, like, kills 
like all three of them, even the kid. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, you know, because of symbolism and it's a Bergman film, they go find the girl. And when they pick her up, because she's in the woods, kind of half buried by leaves and shit, the spring shoots out and it's this water. And of course, it's all symbolism and it's the virgin spring. Right, and, sure. Right, it's so like the, the baptismal. It's, right, yeah. and it's this whole thing. So the film got a lot of accolades at the time. It won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film in 1961. Yeah. But if, hmm? I said, yeah, I was just going to tell a story, but... I'm going to let you tell the story, okay. but I'm just pointing out that, of course, this is the basis for Last House on the Left that came out in 1972, directed by Wes Craven, which I'll talk a little bit about that, but anyway, yeah. you have a story? Well, a little story. I actually have only seen it one time, but I saw it at Free Movie Night at the Museum of Modern Art a couple years ago. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, Free Movie Night. It was like a Thursday night, or I think it was a Friday night, and I was like, I'm going to go. I go to the movies by myself all the time, so it's not weird. Free Movie Night at the MoMA is where homeless people go to <laughs> sit by me and fall asleep during the movie. So I think I was wedged in between like two homeless people at the Virgin Spring who slept both the whole way through the movie. And then at the end, I just kind of got up and all me and all the homeless people wandered out. But yeah, I watched that with a whole room full of homeless people. It's a heartwarming story. Mm -hmm. It was was nice. That was was really great. Mm -hmm. All right. No rape revenge stories there? Nope. Oh, that's good. I'm letting you take this one. I'm not ma- I'm not telling any <laughs> rape stories here. <laughs> I hope you don't have any to tell. Nope. So um, I'm going to let you offend everyone. I'm going to take a back seat. Okay. That's a change of pace. Mm-hmm. So one more thing about The Virgin Spring. So I watched it recently for this episode. And it's not graphic. I mean, there's no, no nudity, but it is still pretty brutal because there is a rape scene. Yeah. And then they hit her in the head. Of course, you don't see that either. It's implied and it's actually pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. It's surprisingly brutal for the time and effective for yeah, the time absolutely. period. Absolutely. So from here on out, I'm just going to jump up to the 70s because there's plenty of movies in the 60s. There's a lot of exploitation, roughies and stuff that deal with these same types of themes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to push to some of the more famous ones. They just, they work better for the episode. Sure. But the next one I'm going to talk about real quick is Straw Dogs from 1971. We've talked yeah, about it before. talked about it a lot this season. Yeah, it's directed by Sam Peckinpah. And of course, it stars Dustin Hoffman and Susan George. I'm not going to talk much about it, number one, because again, I'm focusing on movies or trying to focus on movies that deal with the actual victim being the Avenger, and even though Virgin Spring is not one of those, and neither are Straw Dogs, they're worth mentioning just because they're famous movies, and of course, Virgin Spring has influenced countless movies beyond that. But the reason I don't want to talk about that is because, you know, the themes of Straw Dog really isn't about rape revenge. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the rape is a sort of a means to an end in dealing right. with this guy's masculinity. Yeah. And truth be told, Susan George really doesn't have any agency in the movie. Right. She gets raped. They even film it as though she starts enjoying it later on, which suggests that maybe there's an aspect of masculinity she enjoys. It's problematic. It's a it's a fucked up rape scene. We talked about it before. It's Yeah. But you're right. The movie Straw Dogs could have taken place without Susan George even as a character. Right. Yeah. True. So it's a means to an end, which to me is actually pretty exploitive if you think about it. Oh, sure. But it's not a strong case for this topic. But right. it is a movie that... But it exists. It yeah. exists. And it's a very famous movie. I'm also going to skip Deliverance as well. Which, mm-hmm. of course, has the rape of Ned Betty. Because, again, that also touches on the themes of masculinity. Right. Well, and also, like, again, obviously, it's a very controversial scene. But they weren't trying to get revenge on that guy. They were no. trying to kill him because they thought he was going to kill the rest of them. Right. So it wasn't like, they weren't like, we've got an exact revenge. And the movie takes a turn now into a revenge story. They were like, we're not going to make it out of here if right. we don't kill this other guy. Yeah. It was only survival. And, you know, again, underlying themes of masculinity. Right. 
So the next movie I'm going to talk about proper, though, is, and we've talked about this before, too, but it's always fun to talk about, is Thriller, A Cruel Picture Slash They Call Her One Eye from 1973. Jeez. In this podcast, this is one of those movies that I did not know existed. We watched together and mm-hmm. has kind of become one of the movies that this podcast has really opened up, I think, for a lot of people that didn't know this was a thing. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know about this movie or listen to the episode we discussed it before, Thriller slash A Cruel Picture is about this quiet girl named Frigga, played by Christina Lindbergh, and she's sexually assaulted as a child, which makes her mute. When she grows up, for some reason one day she accepts a ride with this creepy fucking dude who ends up kidnapping her, getting her addicted to heroin, and then making her a hooker. Mm -hmm. To add insult to injury uh, so her parents won't look for her, he sends them letters saying that she doesn't want to ever see them again, and they end up killing themselves. So he makes her parents commit suicide, and so she's all fucked up. So the big thing with this one is that there's graphic sex in this movie. So not only is she, they're showing her getting stripped down and raped, then they cut in scenes of real pornography with real penetration to emphasize this point. Right. Which is really fucked up. It's, but re- it's super fucked it's up. It's super fucked up. Because the thing, and again, we discussed this in Hooker Vengeance, and you, know, you and I watched this together, is they don't do it as in like, we're going to show you violent sex just to really make you understand how terrible this is. It's standard pornography. Fair. You know yeah. what I mean? You could have cut it in from any kind of amateur pornography yeah. video and cut it in there. It's not like, oh my God, they're showing this violent thing. They're just showing penetration. You know what I mean? So they're yeah. clearly doing it to make a sex movie. Yeah, it's really troubling. And of all the things that we're going to be talking about, I think this scene or those scenes yeah. are the most exploitive in this whole like Completely subgenre. agreed, yeah. And because, yeah, now you're titillating somebody with essentially what's a rape scene. Right. They tried to sex up a rape scene and make they tried to make it masturbatable. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking terrible. Also, you said it was thriller slash a cruel picture. Is thriller slash or thriller a cool picture? Sorry, slash it's thriller a cool they picture. They call her one eye, yes. then ran for their lives. Then ran for their lives. It's one of my favorite taglines of all time. Yeah, it's a great trailer. I'll put that on here. They called her one eye, then ran for their lives. They robbed her of speech. They brutalized her body. And when they had finished, she used what was left to repay every blow with her own terrible kind of revenge. Two other things to note about this movie that's a theme that follows in some of these other rape revenge type of films is that one, she's jailbait looking. And a lot of these movies, these women look underage. Mm -hmm. The second one is she's mute, which there's more characters in these movies that can't speak. And I feel like that's a symbolic thing where these women have no voice. Mm -hmm. They have no means to call for help. They have no means to speak for themselves, which is, I think, synonymous with helplessness. Yeah. So I'm moving on. And I'm moving on to what I think is the, and I know you're going to agree with me, the pinnacle of the rape revenge subgenre. Are you going to let me say it? Go for it. I spit on your grave. Yes. Yeah. I Spit on Your Grave slash Day of the Woman from 1978. I actually have 1978 to 1980 because there was... It's, it's all weird. It's it got all weird. released and then got pulled and then got put back in and... Right. No pun, no pun intended. intended. Yeah, no, I saw that coming. No pun intended there either. What you are about to see did happen. I spit on your grave. <laughs> this woman will soon cut, chop, break and burn five men beyond recognition. And there isn't a jury in this country that will convict her. I spit on your grave. 
The plot of this movie is an inspiring writer is repeatedly gang raped, humiliated, and left for dead by four men whom she ends up hunting down and seeking bloody revenge. You discussed it from the exploitation angle in your recent podcast, but I want to change gears and discuss this film from the rape revenge aspect. First off, the rape scene, and by that I mean all fucking three of them. Uh-huh. That is like, I don't know, 30 minutes, do you think? And that's probably 20 minutes. Well, yeah, it takes up about 30 minutes of the film. Yeah. Oh, jeez. It's like the first half of the movie because I think the rape scenes themselves compiled together is 30 whole minutes, but right. it's dragged out where she's crawling through the woods. It's, it's grueling. It's really grueling. And I think pretty exploitive, in my own personal opinion. But the character Jennifer, who's the protagonist, she's played by actress Camille Keaton, is shown full frontal nude throughout the majority of the sequence. I mean, it's this flashing bush and boobs throughout yeah. the whole thing, butt, and it's this, you know. And to me, I don't know, what do you think? Do you think this is like a tantalizing thing? I mean, it's totally brutal and fucked up. Do I think that it's tantalizing? Or do you think that some of those shots are? And I just want your opinion. I do think that movies like this... You know, we talk about women in peril movies. We talk about the yeah. roughies. Mm-hmm. I do think that they're designed for a male audience that wants to see a woman demoralized and in a sexual way. But in a different way, rape is not just a sexual act. It's a violent act, right. too. And so there are people that would say that rape is an act of violence, not of a sexual nature. Oh, I totally agree. And as a male, I feel like I'm not allowed to have an opinion, and I'm totally fine with that. But I do think that movies like this are made for men to find exciting sexually. Now that doesn't mean they're going to sit there and masturbate to it, but I definitely think there's, there's probably some, some truth to that. Yeah. And I'm going to sort of reference that or at least embellish that with the next piece that I'm going to bring up because there's an infamous Roger Ebert, you know, a man who's no stranger to exploitation mm-hmm. film review when he reviewed this movie in 1980. And I want to re- quote some of that review. Sure. So I'm going to paraphrase some of this, but I want to read you know, his experience that he wrote about going to see this movie. So he says, When I saw this at 11.20 a.m. on Monday, the theater contained a larger crowd than usual. It was not just a large crowd, it was a profoundly disturbing one. I do not often attribute motives to audience members, nor do I try to read their minds, but the people who were sitting around me on a Monday morning made it easy for me to know what they were thinking. They talked out loud, and if they seriously believed the things they were saying, they are vicarious sex criminals. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. As the film went on, he added, How did the audience react to all this? Those who were vocal seemed to be eating it up. The middle-aged, white-haired man, two seats from me, for example, talked aloud. After the first rape, that was a good one. After the second one, that'll show her. And then after the third, I've seen some good ones, but that is the best. In several scenes, the other three men tried to force the quote-unquote retarded man to attack her. This is in 1980. Yeah, of course. This inspired a lot of laughter and encouragement from the audience. Just fucked up. When the tables turned and the woman started her killing spree, a woman in the back row shouted, Cut him up, sister! And then he concluded by saying, This movie is an expression of the most diseased and perverted, darker human natures because it is made artlessly, it flaunts its motives. There is no reason to see this movie except to be entertained by the sight of sadism and suffering. I went to see I Spit on Your Grave and I was sitting next to a fairly nicely dressed, middle-aged man, maybe in his 50s or 60s, who was talking back to the screen with lines like, boy, she's really asking for it now, or, you know, there's a rape scene coming up, this'll be a good one, and so forth. This guy is, to my way of thinking, a vicarious sex criminal. He has very antisocial attitudes. I felt creepy sitting there. Pretty harsh judgment. And I see his point. Just the movies we talked about up to this point can surely be seen that way in, in a lot of ways. And if that old man is actually cheering on rape, 
That's fucked up. Well, I have something to add to that. Okay, please do. A, a couple things, actually. So Good. Roger Ebert, and we talk about him a lot, was a really interesting film critic because, you know, while he made a movie like Beyond the Valley of the Dolls and wrote all of the later Russ Meyer films, he really didn't care for violence. He didn't really care for horror movies. And when you were reading that review, and I've read it before, that I thought was interesting but also telling is the way that they talk about horror films is basically they're designed for the same audience that saw that movie on a Monday morning at 11 a.m. is that you're rooting for the killer all throughout the movie. You want to see the killer, the slasher killer kill people. And so you're rooting for him until the person takes revenge at the end and kills the killer. And then you start rooting for the Jamie Lee Curtis's, right. you know, so it's kind of that that's the way that horror movies are structured. And he made basically a rape revenge movie that was structured like a horror slasher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would be interested in knowing whether the men that he talked about, and of course, absolutely, it's terrible. He, that'll show her is like the most horrible thing that you can ever say. Yeah, about sure. Sure, it's, terrible. it's terrible. I'd be interested in knowing whether those men turned back and then they were rooting for right. her like, at the yeah, end. Yeah, cut his dick off, you right. know. And, and which is which is basically which the is way that they structure true. movies for dum dums. Right. I mean, it's it's for us too. I love right. horror movies, and I'm always like, kill, kill, kill. Right. And then once you know Jamie Lee Curtis shows up, I'm like, kill, kill the killer, kill, 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 kill yeah, the yeah, killer. Yeah, yeah. You know, You're, like he switched loyalties within there. And there's actually a book. I talk about this later, but since we're talking about it now, yeah. And that book is Stay Out of the Shower: 25 Years of Shocker Films, beginning with Psycho. And that's by author William Scholl. So you already kind of brought this up where he mentions is that, yeah, throughout the movie, your loyalties change from killer to victim. So, yeah, you're rooting for kill, 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 whoever does it, basically. And you want the woman, if it's the final girl or whoever, to take charge and kill all the people that wronged her or raped her or violated her or whatever. So, so yeah, that guy probably turned around and was maybe... Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. It sounds like in that, and, and again, I've read the review... He kind of says, you know, a woman yells out in the back, you know, but he doesn't really say whether men turn on it or not. He's got a column to write, obviously. But I'd just be interested in knowing whether he thought that they turned or whether he didn't. But, you know, he does mention, okay, the women yelling at the back, as you mentioned, and we talked about, cut him up and take kick his ass, sister, whatever. Looking at that, you know, why were they cheering? You know, maybe they were cheering. Maybe they were so happy to finally see this stuff. Because I think at this point, rape was starting to be taken seriously as an issue. And maybe showing the brutality of it in movies was getting to be a thing then, too. You're looking at the tail end of the 60s with civil rights, women's rights. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like the whole anti-rape movement was going strong and, you know, it was being addressed as a social problem. Right. They, they didn't fix it, but at least rape wasn't looked at as boys will be boys anymore. Right, sure. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, you shouldn't have been flashing a skirt. I mean, people still say that shit, yeah, but finally... Yeah, consent is just starting to be an actual issue in the used. last three years, you know? So by actually showing the brutality of those actions in movies... And, of course, the retribution. I think a lot of these female audience members were probably finally saying, okay, this sure. thing's being traded seriously. I'm not it, saying that it's not exploitive still. That's why this is such an course. interesting well, topic. This, I mean, this movie, there's a reason why it's the, one of the most yeah. controversial films ever made is because there's a lot of different ways to slice this movie. And, and one of them is that by bringing the idea that if you rape a woman, it's not going to be forgotten. She's going to cut your dick off and come back and kill you. There is an argument that says that is a lesson that you teach men you could say watch this movie and you'll see what happens to every rapist they asked for it you know what i mean the rapists asked for it right and that could be a lesson yeah probably isn't but it could be it could be (laughs) 
Which leads me into my next movie that I want to talk about, which is Ms. 45 from 1981. Every day, on every street, in every city, women are insulted, abused, This movie is an exploitation film, of course, directed by Abel Ferreira, and it stars Zoe Lund. Mm-hmm. Similar things with this movie and with Thriller, slash they call her one eye, is number one, jailbait looking chick. And actually, she was actually 17 when she filmed this movie. Oh, really? Yeah. And two, she's also a mute character. She so can't talk weird. at all. Weird, yeah. It's weird. It's weird. So let me tell you about this movie. So this movie's about Fana. She's a mute woman who becomes a vigilante and goes on a killing spree. What happens is she's raped twice in one day on her way home from work mm-hmm. in an alley. And then in her actual apartment, somebody was breaking in when she was Same going guy home. or completely unrelated? Unrelated guy. Two different guys. That's okay. fucked up. Yeah. He's breaking in her house. She shows up when he gets there, so he grabs her and he rapes her. She turns the tables on him, kills him, mm-hmm. grabs his gun, which is a forty-five, and then after that, disposes of his body. She cuts it up in the shower, mm-hmm. and then she goes on like this bloody revenge. First, she starts off with killing just like people who you know harass her or bother her, or she thinks they're going to assault her, mm-hmm. and then she just like anything with a dick, she just starts fucking killing mm-hmm. them. So mm-hmm. it's uh, pretty interesting. I've never seen this. Yeah. You've never seen this movie? No, no. I, I, we talk about it, and I hear about it all the time. April Ferrara is just one of those directors that I've maybe seen. <laughs> one or two movies yeah. from and was just kind of like mm, did he do Bad me. Lieutenant did Bad Lieutenant okay. and he directed a movie that was actually that Madonna was in with Harvey Keitel called Dangerous Game I forgot about that movie and I, I think I saw it you know years ago when, when she made it but she said about it she was like even though it was a shitty movie and I hate it like I was I was pretty good in it and she was she yeah. was yeah. alright so let me talk about a little bit more on this movie here so I just want to point out that the rape scenes are tamer she was 17 so I didn't show any nudity still brutal because Again, this movie's like filmed in that cheap early 80s style, so yeah. it's very grungy. But her reaction to this rape is different than in I Spit on Your Grave. Right. You know, I Spit on Your Grave, she gets raped, she recovers, and she kills all the guys, and you think, but okay. But she plots. She plots she, to kill him, but once she's done, she's like, I'm done, I had my payback, and for all you know, she takes the boat and fl- goes away and lives as happy as she possibly can after sure. the game rape. But this movie, you know, this girl becomes more and more unhinged to the point where it's her undoing. Right. You know, it makes her crazy. It makes her crazy. becomes yeah. too much, and it, it ends her, you know. A couple other things I want to note, too, as as I mentioned before, the whole mute thing is very, very interesting to me. You know, and again, I've, I've talked about it before, but I think it's symbolic of helplessness in women. You know, she well, doesn't have a voice. She can't be heard. You know, so she's just like totally helpless. The only thing she has that speaks is a gun. And unfortunately, it only says one thing. Right, sure. Yeah. and Yeah, I mean, well, of course. I mean, it, listen, it, if you're a woman and you get raped, there are no viable solutions to that problem. Right. The easiest thing to do is just to be quiet about it. And that's a problem. That's that a, a huge problem. problem. So they're obviously being a little heavy handed about that. I don't think it makes sense as a plot device because you're saying, look, she's literally mute. And it's like, thanks. Thanks. I agree. It's it's very heavy handed, but it's still not the last time we see this. And Mm -hmm. we'll talk about that in a bit. One thing I want to do to close off Ms. 45 is just to say, I found this last part, and you can view this symbolism as you will, but spoiler, at the end of this movie, she goes on this shooting spree at this like costume party. She's dressed as a nun. 
So she's a nun with a gun. Mm -hmm. Starts shooting everybody up. She's finally taken down by a feminist with a knife who stabs her in the back. Oh. And then as she's falling down dying, the main girl, Fanta, she says, sister, when she's looking at the girl and just dies, and that's the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. So... Look All at right, the uh, that's, that's an there. easy way to just kill a character, be, being like, well, I don't want a man to kill her, but she has to die at the end, right, so right, I'm going right. to get a feminist killer. I right. haven't seen it, so... Audience members, you can follow on that as you will. <laughs> the movie will be on the site. It's free on YouTube, so I'm going to post the clip. Okay, well, I'm, maybe I'll watch this one. All right, yeah, it's something. All right, so my next film I want to discuss uh, that also has a mute character who looks way too young and is also brutally gang-raped, unfortunately, is the movie Savage Streets from 1984. Oh, boy, yeah. It started off as an innocent prank that erupted in savage violence. I'm gonna kill him! I'm gonna kill him! I'm sorry about your sister, Brenda. The police are doing everything they can. But she shouldn't have been there in the first place. Brenda, you can't take the whole world on by yourself. You don't know anything. No! Oh, my. I missed. And I did so want to see you bleed to death. You pay for your crime. Judgment will stand. Ah! Linda Blair in Savage Streets, where the only law is an eye for an eye. I want to talk about this movie, number one, because it's one of our favorite movies, it's, mm-hmm. which is fucked up. But it stars the lovely and talented Linda Blair. Mm-hmm. One of our favorites. And the story goes, Linda Blair is this girl, Brenda. Her little sister, Heather, who's mute and can't talk. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Brenda's out with her friends one night, and they steal these guys' car, just as a joke. And there's, there's this little gang of assholes. And they want to get revenge back on them. So I guess they all go to the same high school, even though everybody here looks 30, yeah, right. as in normal 80s movies where they're in mm-hmm. high school. And anyway, Linda Blair's girls were rough girls. They, they were, were rough, like leather-wearing, you know, drinking, cigarette-smoking, yeah. you know, bad girls. They you know? were definitely bad girls. They recognize Brenda's sister, Heather, and so there's a scene where she gets r- brutally gang-raped in a bathroom. In the high school gym, in the high isn't school. it? Yeah. But I want to talk about this scene because I've watched the movie again. Mm-hmm. Of course, I watched the movie again because yeah, it's, it's terrific. Uh-huh. But what happens is through this scene is that it's intercut with a girl fight in the bathroom. So what right. happens is they're dragging the sister who can't scream, she can't talk, she's mute. Mm-hmm. And I found out she's also deaf too, so she's not, she can't hear either. Yeah. But she can't talk. They're pulling her, like dragging her on the ground to the bathroom, intercut with Linda Blair and that one friend that she's always fighting with in the, in the movie. Yeah. And a bunch of naked women in the bathroom smacking each smacking other smacking around. Each other around. Yeah. So there's that explosive scene and... cross cut with them taking this girl, cutting off her clothes, and then about the gang raper. It's fucked up. It's it and is very fucked explosive up. When you scene think about there. it, I mean, when you're when you're watching it, you're just like, oh my god, this is so 80s, and it's right. just the, like the most 80s boobs bouncing in the shower yeah. like type of thing. But you're right. In retrospect, it is pretty fucked up. It's really fucked up too because again, even this scene after the girl gets raped, and I mean, it's full nudity. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. there's no penetration stuff. It's it's simulated. But she's brutalized and it's fucked up and terrorized too. That's another thing with a lot of these movies. Like as they go along, yeah, they don't just do it. They're mean. They're, they're mean and they're. Ter- I mean, it's, it's a horrible mean thing to say. But yeah, they terrorize like, these people too. So it's like it drags out, right? You know, and it's more of the the mental cruelty, right? And and then intercut with like boobs bouncing in the bathroom, right? Sure. But the thing is, like, Linda Blair doesn't take revenge until, like, her friend, because there's another piece of this where her friend Francine, who's part of the group, is about to get married, because, of course, high school students always do that. When mm-hmm. they're seniors in high school, they're about to get married. Right. And this gang catches up with her and throw her off a fucking bridge and kill her. Yeah. So then Brenda's friend is now murdered, too. 
So now she's like, I'm going to get a crossbow and I'm going to get the bear traps and hunt these people down, which is, of course, the best part of the movie. Right. So I think what I hear you saying is that... The rape was unnecessary. That the rape was unnecessary, but also it's like... Because the little sister doesn't die. Like, they no, don't no, kill she her. Doesn't die. No. So I think what I hear you saying is, is that just the rape in the eyes of this movie wasn't enough for her to go after. They had right. to kill someone, too. Which makes it seem like the rape was just a titillating, yeah, fucked up aspect from this movie. From that, that point of view, it certainly makes sense. So, which is, to me, very exploitive. Yeah, that's super fucked up. And super fucked up. Yeah. But I'm going to go in defense of this film that it's this. besides that piece... The rest of this movie is really like this is something to behold. It's Linda Blair at her best slash worst. Worse, yeah, it's she great. goes for that movie. She too. went for she it. She really goes for it. She really does. Yeah. I think she won the Razzie for worst actress, which I find scandalous. I do too because it was great. She's you've never seen an actress take on a role like this and just go. You know what? I'm I'm gonna take this one on. Right. And really go for it. It is 110. percent Yeah. Yeah. I can't talk enough about Savage Streets. It's definitely worth seeing. There's a copy of an online but it's it's not synced up very well with the audio so it's sort of annoying i've been looking for a better version so i could put on the site so people can watch it but it's just, yeah. that's the best you can get but it's definitely worth checking out if you can that scene is troubling and so i bring it up here but the rest of the movie is just pure gold yeah yeah for a rape revenge movie it's real fun <laughs> yes that, that'll be the quote that goes on the front of the, this episode yeah so all right moving on I'm skipping a bunch of stuff from here on out. I'm going straight to the 2000s. There's other examples, but I think I'm making my point, and so I don't need to talk about Mm -hmm. them. But I have to talk about this next movie, because this movie is also very fucked up and is a first of what I've seen in this genre. And this movie is a French movie called Bessie Moi, or Fuck Me in French, and it came out in 2000. Hmm. Have you heard of this movie? No, literal title. It's a French crime thriller slash rape revenge film, and it was written and directed by a woman. But what sets this one apart is this movie has real sex in it. And I'm not talking about cut-ins. I'm talking about the leads in this movie are porn stars in France that fucking kill their way throughout this movie. Hmm. There's a rape scene earlier on in a parking garage that has them actually getting fucked in this movie. Oh, wow. It's fucked up. Mm-hmm. And but it's, the parts are played by porn actresses? Yeah, so, okay. they're, playing so they're not the cut-ins. So, no, this is not cut-ins. Okay. They, yeah, these women are having sex... And they're simulating them getting raped and smacked around and having real sex in this scene. Hmm. The rest of the movie, they end up real sex, too. But what happens is after they get raped in this parking garage, they essentially get some guns and just go on a crime spree afterward. And they fucking kill their way through France or wherever they're at. So it's super, super fucked up and exploitive. And this movie was written and directed by a woman. So Mm -hmm. it's just like, that's fucked up. So this is the first time, hopefully the last, that we see a rape scene that's got... Not, you know, they're fucking and smacking around kind of thing. I know there's porn like that, that is simulated stuff and whatever. But this is trying to be a, you know, a narrative film. Right. With that scene in there. Mm-hmm. And then they just fuck people the rest of the movie, too. So Okay. It didn't do very well, obviously. It's been banned everywhere. Yeah. I actually have a link on the site. So if Probably. anybody wants to watch it, you can watch yeah. the movie. But it's it's something else. Well, and I, it's, I mean... And it's pretty troubling and fucked up. And since you haven't heard of it, nobody watches it. And yeah. it's been banned everywhere. Then more power to it. I just I had to bring this up. This yeah, sure. crazy fucked up shit. And one thing to add to the exploitation aspect of it is that okay, they're gonna try to make the rape as realistic as possible, but the violent part is so like cheesy, crappy that mm-hmm. it's like, well, you really know where your priorities are. It's like we're gonna make this rape look authentic, but then well, they're gonna have shitty squibs and you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, if they're used to making porn movies, that's not exactly like the Citizen Kane of oh, you that's, know. Well, that's a good point. They just they don't know how to make a good movie. They make porn movies. Yeah. They're low budget and there's 
they only do one thing, you know? Yeah, but as an inverse to Red Kimona being produced by a woman, because mm-hmm. I don't have any other examples, and if you listeners know of any movies that fit this, like, subgenre of rape revenge that mm-hmm. are produced by women, let me know. But, you know, I find it interesting that, you know, you have the one feminist one from the 20s. The next one I have is a porn film from 2000 that showed women getting actually rape fucked or whatever. It's yeah. fucked up. Yeah. Having fun? Having a good time? Yeah, great. (laughs) So terrible. All right, so my next film I want to talk about is uh, Monster from 2003, starring Mm -hmm. Charlize Theron. And Monster is a 2003 crime drama. I mentioned it before in Hooker Vengeance. Yep. It's about real-life serial killer Eileen Wuornos, a former prostitute who was executed in Florida in 2002, and she killed, I think, seven men. True story. True story. Played by Charlize Theron, and Christina Ricci played her girlfriend in the Mm -hmm. movie. So... Not a lot of serial killers that are women in no, history. No, that's, so, so that's a this, first this there. One was, uh, but um, also why I bring this up on that note is that this is like a real-life version of Ms. 45. Because mm-hmm. all of her killings she claimed were in self-defense. Like she said that these people raped her. She's a prostitute. I mean, she's yeah. a prostitute, but also she was like, oh, these guys were attacking me and that's why I killed them. Mm-hmm. And then she just went on a, a crime spree that ultimately led to our undoing. She was executed on October 9, 2002 by lethal injection mm-hmm. so you know and she had problems obviously she had a terrible yeah. childhood I mean she had, all I, mean, I know is the movie but yeah, yeah. She's, so it it was, wasn't very good. the whole situation was kind of fucked up yeah no it was definitely fucked up but it's just her life sort of imitated that film in a lot of ways yep. and it's just, it's a weird rape revenge you mean of, her life imitated Miss 45? Yes, yeah, her life imitated Miss 45. I was like, a, her, life a, can't, her life can't imitate the movie that was made after she died. No, That's that wouldn't impossible. make any sense. That's time travel. Yep. All right, so moving on from that, the next movie I'm going to talk about is I Spit on Your Grave, i.e. the 2010 remake. Mm-hmm. I don't want to dwell on that too much, except to note that if you thought the first one was exploitive in any way, this next one should be downright offensive. Yeah. It's, did you watch it? Yeah, I did watch it. Not. What do you think? I don't even it? really care to talk about it. I don't either. I, you can if you want. I just... I watched it and I was just, I'm not disgusted by much. I was disgusted. So here's the problem that I have with that. Well, there's a lot of problems I have with it, but it's number one, it's slickly produced. So it's well produced. At least the 78 one was just like grimy and dirty. And it looked like other movies at the time. And it looked like Chainsaw Massacre that looked like snuff films. And it kind of was like, uh, okay, it was, it was its own thing. But the thing with this movie is, you know, they try to be as realistic with the rape scenes as they possibly could. And then when she finally gets revenge, it becomes a Saw movie. Like, it's a totally unrealistic type of revenge movie. So it's like, we want to make this rape as realistic as possible for the audience. But when she gets revenge, it's going to be like this weird Rube Goldberg device contraption shit that is totally unbelievable. Where at least with the first movie, the rape was, you know, was fucked up and graphic. But she just went and killed motherfuckers. And it seemed just as real as the rape did. Right. She killed them in different ways. She didn't just walk in with a gun and shoot anybody. No, but she hung a dude. She cut one dude's dick off, which is still... Bathtub, in the yeah. bathtub, she ran over one with a fucking boat and killed one with an axe. So these yeah. are all plausible ways you can actually kill somebody. And right. It looked pretty effective because it looks so cheap that it looked sort of real, just like the rape did. Yeah. Here it's like it's a slick movie. We really made this rape look great. We have a right. video camera where we're showing it from the video camera point of view, and then she, then she turns into like jigsaw at the end and kills motherfuckers in the most unbelievable way possible. Right. Which to me, for some reason, that really bothered me. I just hated that they exploited an exploitation film. Right. And you know there. There are arguments that you can make about I Spit on Your Grave and why it was an important film, whether you believe those or not. I'm not touching it. But that was just Hollywood garbage dribble. Yeah. And I was disgusted by it. Yeah, you know? I, I totally agree with you. And I think it's this. It had nothing expert. new to say, nothing interesting to say. No. And they basically were like, well, 
we're remaking everything. Let's remake that too. Right. You know, and, I yeah. thought it was trash. Well, yeah. And just to add insult to injury, there's two sequels to that movie. I'm sure there are. There's I Spit on Your Grave 2 from 2013. I didn't even bother really looking that up much. And I Spit on Your Grave 3, Vengeance is Mine from 2015. Mm, Another boys. one I didn't even bother with. Really shitty titles too. But let me add one more thing to this then. Mm-hmm. Because there's actually a movie that's coming out or is being worked on now called I Spit on Your Grave Deja Vu. Mm-hmm. It's an upcoming sequel to the original 1978 movie starring Camille Keaton from the first film oh, as wow. Jennifer. And here's a description. After her rape, the main character Jennifer wrote a best-selling account of her ordeal. And at the controversial trial in which she's accused of taking the law in her own hands and killing her assailants, she's acquitted at that trial. Uh-huh. And so then the relatives of the people in that small town that were related to these rapists now want to get revenge on her. Okay. So it's a rape-revenge movie where the rape happened a long time ago. Right. And now they're getting revenge for the revenge she got for the rape. But she's really going to be in it. Yeah, so the main actress is actually going to be in it. Well, it's funny because the tagline for the movie was, she brutally killed four men but there isn't a jury in the world that would convict her or something like that. So yeah, so that's interesting that That they kind of, you know, use that tagline, but then they were like, well, let's turn that into a plot device for a sequel. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll see. The next movie I want to talk about, or the property I want to talk about, is The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Mm -hmm. And the novel iteration, the Swedish film from 2009, and of course the American remake from David Fincher. And I'm going to kind of do a little bit of comparison. So... Everybody knows about this movie. They know about the character. I've read all three books. I've seen all three of the original films and the remake. So, okay. and, yeah, you know, Good, and you'll be able remake, to talk yeah. about this because mm-hmm. I never read the book and I've seen parts of the Swedish film. I saw the American remake. But mm-hmm. the plot is 40 years ago, this girl disappears from her family. They're rich people on this island. Her body was never found. Her uncle suspects that she was murdered and that the killer was a member of his own family. He employs disgraced journalist Michael Bloomkist and his tattooed computer hacker friend, Lisbeth Salander. 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 Lisbeth Salander to check it out. And, of course, you know the rest of the intrigue and yep. stuff ensues. And, of course, the big draw of the book is the character of Lisbeth Salander, who's a beautiful but troubled hacker. You know, she does all this weird body mod shit or whatever. And, you know, there's a big rape-revenge subplot to this character. Mm-hmm. And as you know, with this part of the book and the story, she was ruled incompetent as a child so she has to have like a caregiver or somebody who a legal guardian right anyway her old legal guardian has a stroke and dies he didn't die but he has a stroke or something either mm-hmm. way he's not around anymore and so this asshole gets into that position and of course he uses it to extort sexual favors from her and eventually he just straights up rapes her right but she had recorded it with a camera she recorded the assault and so she takes revenge by like torturing him she shoves a something up his ass mm-hmm. and she she tattoos i'm a rapist pig on there and she says which is the best part she yeah. was like i'm ever i'm gonna kill you you know it's funny because you know my sister my mother like every woman i know read all of these yeah, books same here. and we're just kind of like cheering this character on but it's like okay but he wrote a book around sexual violence around women and then kind of created a hero out of it but it's like it's troubling you know, there is something troubling about that. Yeah. There were terrific books. The no, yeah, yeah, yeah. movies I, were great. I, great. But, but here's the thing. The was fine, you know. This is what I find that's very interesting about this, and since we're pondering all this shit, is that to me, I find that like the most exploitive element, mm-hmm. probably of all the things that we've been talking about, at least one of them, and here's why. Because the rape is nothing but a character piece. Right. It's just there to show that she's a damaged heroine. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't, that's its only purpose. It doesn't further the plot. You could cut it out and just mention vague stuff and she'd still be a strong character. They'd put this in there specifically to show you suffering, to show her that she'll go to extremes to 
threaten to kill somebody or shove a metal rod up his ass be- to get payback. Mm-hmm. To me, that's exploitation. I like exploitation. I get it. Right, but, sure. you know, I think people tend to ignore that piece of it that it wasn't necessary for this book. The rest of the book has nothing to do with it. It's a piece of her damaged character. Right. But it gives you an impression of how extreme she'll go if somebody wrongs her. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, it's exploitive. And I like the books. I like the... Actually, I didn't read the book. Um, but I like the movies. Yeah. And so, I don't know, your thoughts, because you're smiling at me. Yeah, no, it's so complicated. Like, I mean, again, when you look at something like this, and obviously I'm not going to tell anybody what to write, what to read, whatever. I love exploitation, as you know. I mean, I love love some of these movies. But yeah, exploitation tricks you, and that's why it works, you know? And and these books were a little bit of a trick. It was at Stig Larson. Mm -hmm. I think he came up with, and then the character is going to tattoo, I'm a rapist pig across the guy's chest. Because even in the books, like, I don't cheer during books. I was like, fuck yeah, she right. tattooed it. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is the moment that you're supposed to yell, fuck yeah. He shouldn't have done it in the first place. Right. And she wouldn't have had a tattoo it on him. You know what I mean? It's it's complicated. And it's complicated. And I need to move on because I want to talk about a scene from Dragon Tattoo. The comparison between the Swedish version and the American version. Mm-hmm. Because obviously the American version is a lot more explicit. You see him start to rape her. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Swedish one... He kind of grabs her and the door closes. Mm-hmm. So I actually asked somebody, I asked a, a woman I know really well, who is also a big fan of the show. She listens to our show. But she's a big fan of these books. She's a big fan of the movies. She's seen them all. And so the question I posed to her was, of the two rape scenes in the American version and the Swedish version, which one of those did she find the most troubling and why? And her answer was interesting to me because she said, well, she thought the Swedish one was worse in terms of witnessing that because she felt like helpless when seeing it because she was shut out of the room plus her imagination made the scene seem much worse worse. right whereas when she saw the american one she felt complicit in it Mm -hmm. Hmm. you know because she's there watching the scene and she also noted that it ended before it got too disturbing like it ended before it ruined the rest of the movie for you right you know they showed her getting raped some but just enough so they close it off and then she gets revenge rated film and then and you're not fucked for life for seeing this right I bring this up because it's important for going forward, but I found it interesting that seeing less like bothered her more. I, I mean, that's that's a film technique, you yeah. know, and especially for foreign films, you know, that's in American films, they're like, lop his head off and whatever we have. We're very desensitized towards violence and, you know, foreign filmmakers treat it much differently. Right. And that's a good point. And I'm also going to argue the inverse of that as we go forward. So remember what, what we just talked about. So to prove that point, the next film I want to talk about is Irreversible from 2002. I just wrote it down because I didn't know if you were going to talk about it Of course I'm going to talk about it. This movie is directed by Gaspar Noe, and it stars Monica Bellucci. And the film is like a rape revenge, but it's told backwards. So it's a rape revenge movie in reverse, showing the revenge part at the beginning, which has a guy getting head trauma from getting beaten in the head with a fire extinguisher, which is Mm -hmm. gross. And I talk about it in head trauma. And then the rape is followed the killing and then the movie actually rewinds to back it gives you a false happy ending because everybody's happy at the end of the movie which is actually the beginning beginning of the story yeah Yeah. but i want to talk about the rape scene because whereas the dragon tattoo rape scene that didn't show anything this is a nine minute what looks like one take rape scene that Mm -hmm. does not cut away nope and you're stuck watching this terrible, awful scene, which mm-hmm. I've seen once, yeah. and I've never seen it again. I, you gave it to me, and I watched it one time, and then just... Lit it on fire. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I bring this up because, to me, even though it did that, I don't think that that's exploitation. 
And I don't think that is because it's so unpleasant as rape should be viewed as being so unpleasant. Mm-hmm. It doesn't cut away, so it doesn't doesn't give you a break. It there's doesn't no give stylized you, view of there's it. There's no stylized it's, view. It's static. You're supposed it's to be brutal. You're supposed to be there. You're supposed to feel like this right. is happening to you. So you're not shut out of it. You're helpless because you're sitting here watching this nine minute long Which scene that you're awful. dying to end. It's and the only way you can feeling get that helpless. Yeah, yeah. The only way you can get away from it is if you leave or yeah. turn the fucking movie off. Right. They don't cut it to make you enjoy the rest of the movie. You're stuck watching this terrible, awful scene. Yeah. And I think that's the least exploitive scene of this whole thing that we're talking about because I of that. I actually agree with you for once. And wow. because, you know, when you talk about a movie like I Spit on Your Grave or something like that, which is showing nudity, you know, in Savage Streets, which is kind of, you know, trying to sex it up a little bit for the male crowd, this is awful for anyone to watch it doesn't confuse sex and violence at all it is very clear this is violence yeah you know it's horrifying yeah i agree of the three i'm talking about here this one the fincher dragon tattoo or the swedish dragon tattoo i would say the dragon tattoo one is the most exploitive out of the three of those that i mentioned the fincher version. sorry the fincher version of yeah. that yeah. so interesting Fair. yeah interesting point so moving on, I'm kind of closing that out with okay. here. I think we've really talked about this subject. Rape revenge movies are just such a complex topic. Oh, yeah, this is you know, a tough episode. Tough you know? episode. Kind of didn't mean to get so serious, but how do you not? Yeah, with this sure, topic, sure. I'm glad. I'm glad you did the episode. Yeah, thinking about it and researching it, it's just it's something. Yeah. I don't even have a loss for words. When I say that I'm glad that movies like I Spit on Your Grave, the original, exist, mm-hmm. I don't even really have a second part of that to say. Especially as a male, I don't feel like I have the right to have an opinion over it right and i'm okay with that yeah that's fine i don't either that's why i asked a female what she thought of yeah. these scenes because she would have a better idea you know we're kind of separate from it but you know this, there's so many questions this brings up these movies are all entertainment i mean mm-hmm. dragon tattoo is major entertainment oh sure should rape be entertainment should it be looked at can it be i mean it clearly can be because people love that movie it was an oscar winner it was an oscar yeah. winner so where does cheap exploitation and fair representation begin and end you know i don't know i don't have an answer for that yeah, this no. is something that has more questions than answers and we could talk about it all day but i only have an hour <laughs> to talk about yeah. this so i want to kind of move on but I think if you're going to portray it, there are ways to portray it effectively that aren't exploitive. And I think we've discussed that. Mm-hmm. I don't really have anything to add to that at this point. Mm-hmm. I think we've talked the shit out of the subject. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I do have some honorable mentions I want to talk. They didn't fit in the narrative of this, mm-hmm. but I just wanted to mention them. One is a movie called Sun Impact from 1983. That was a Dirty Harry movie. It's right. the, the film is a rape revenge movie, actually. it's hmm. a It tells the story of a gang rape victim who's played by Sandra Locke, who at that time was in like an every Clint Eastwood movie because right. they were in a relationship. But she decides to seek revenge like 10 years after the attack and she kills like all the bad guys. And of course, Harry's trying to find out how these are happening and he he finds out it's her. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the Dirty Harry Rape Revenge movie. Dirty from 1980. Unf- another Clint Eastwood movie, The Unforgiven was a rape revenge oh, movie. Oh, that's true, true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Best picture winner. Yeah, it was. There's a movie called Gun for Jennifer from 1997. I saw Gun for Jennifer. Okay. Yeah. I actually saw it at the New York Underground Film Festival, I think the year before I took you to yeah. go. Because you went with me one year, I think in 90, the Doris Wishman year, right? The 98? Yeah. I went the year before that and saw A Gun for Jennifer at its New York premiere. I wow. loved it. Yeah, I, I watched it. It's, on, it's going to be on the site. It. They have it on online, and I watched it. Oh, wow. It's filmed like those 1980s, early 80s shitty, like, you know, it's like film like Miss 45 or something. Yeah. yeah. I loved it when yeah, I saw it. I thought it, it was great. It was terrific, yeah. And, of course, it's a slightly different form of, you know, the rape revenge movie that it's a vigilante group of women right. that go around and kill a bunch of men and shit. And this yeah. one girl, Jennifer, joins that group, and things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's worth checking out, and it's going to be on the site. And this last movie... 
I have to talk about this movie. I'm so interested in seeing this movie. It's called Satan's Children from 1975. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you the story. Okay. So I couldn't find the movie. I can't see it anywhere. I think it was on like a DVD that's out of print. Okay. If any of our listeners know about this movie, Satan's Children, please. You got me on this okay. now. Satan's Children, I'm going to find this but movie. But listen, it's about a young man who's raped by four gay men and dumped on the side of the road. How young? He's teenager. Okay. He, uh, I think his name's Bobby. Anyway, these Satanists find him for some reason and he tries to join the group although they won't let him because they say that you know Satan doesn't like losers I'm willing to give Satan my soul right now (laughs) he doesn't want it why not you're weak you're a loser Satan wants winners uh-huh, but so he ends old. up joining him anyway because the female leader falls in love with him. Mm-hmm. Craziness ensues, but he ends up getting revenge against his attackers. The thing hmm. is, this movie is like batshit crazy from what I've seen about it. Like supposedly it's like super homophobic, mm-hmm. yet super gay at the same time uh-huh, because sure, sure. the main kid Bobby's like in his tidy whitey's like the whole movie, and there's half the scenes have him tied up naked. Uh huh. It's like all over the place. Seventies, right? So it's like yeah, homophobia. You know, has a, usually there's it's a double edged sword. Right, and clearly you know? it is with yeah. this movie. <laughs> So this is supposedly like the gayest movie since Nightmare on Elm Street 2. I'm dying to see this And one, I am too. So. And Satan's I have some children. clips that I'm going to put Anyone on Anyone can find this movie. I want Satan's it. Satan's Children. I couldn't really find a place in the narrative for it, although it is sort of a change of pace in that the victim is a, a male. A male. A male rape victim. But this movie, this sounds so crazy because he's now he links up with Satanists and they help him get revenge. That's the best I can describe this fucking yeah, movie. Yeah, sure. Wow. I'm dying to see it. Let's Again, any listeners who know anything about this movie, please, please let me know. Yeah. And then the last little piece I want to talk about, because it just came out, is the movie L that was directed by Paul Verhoeven. Yeah. And the actress Isabel Hubert got nominated for Best Actress. And it was a big deal anytime a foreign film actress gets nominated in Best Actress category, because right. it usually means she kind of steps someone out. You know, that was an American actress. In this case, I think it was Annette Bening and uh, Amy Adams from Arrival. So it was yeah. a big deal, yeah. You didn't see this, did you? No, you know, we... We missed we, it at the yeah, festival. And we I did. had tickets to it, but then I ended up doing something with you instead or I, I drove home or something so I ended up selling my ticket to L, and I haven't seen it yet but yeah I want to see it uh, me too it's a woman who gets brutally raped and she works at a video game company or something mm-hmm. and then somehow she gets over it and so it's a weird take on it and then somehow she kind of roundabout gets revenge I don't know much about L. I know I it's a either. very art house version of a rape revenge movie yeah and well she was nominated for Academy Awards so. yeah also that she's an older woman she is an older woman not a she's young middle aged yep. you know a young jailbait type of woman, which is usually what you're used to seeing. That is, yeah. And yeah, she's not mute either, which seems to be a big thing right. in all these movies as well. Um, it, it just looks like a very interesting movie. I can't, I can't wait to see yeah, it. Yeah, I can't wait to see it either. So that's where I'm leaving this topic. Mm-hmm. A bleak, dark topic, but an important one. Yeah, no, I'm glad you did this. You know, a lot of times we play things for laughs on this show. And, yeah. you know, we're like, haha, and then the devil baby puked and farted, <laughs> you know, or whatever. And that didn't really happen. But, right. you know, I like it when we talk about tough topics sometimes because they exist. And this topic is wide open. Yeah. I mean, it's just there's so many ways to look at this. Yeah. And on that point, I'd like to ask our audience, what is your opinion on these movies? Sure. You know, how did you your opinion change over years? You know, did you yeah. see a movie, you know, like I spit on your grave 20 years ago and hate it? And now you like it or the opposite? Yeah, or because or, a lot of times, you know, you hear about people and especially film critics where over the years, their opinions of movies change. Right. And we'd love to hear about it. I'd love to know more. Yeah. So drop us a line, drop us an email or Facebook post and let us know what you think about these 
these movies or this topic. Yeah. So other absolutely. than that, that's all I've got. All right. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to Slums of Film History. You can find us on the web at slumsoffilmhistory.com where you can find links to some of the movies we talked about today, along with pictures, videos, and additional resources, as well as Sunday Slum Day, our weekly recommendation for the best and sometimes worst films every Sunday night. If you want to keep up with us, we're on Facebook and Twitter where we share out a lot of additional content. And as always, please fact check us and let us know if we left anything out. We're not professionals, just two friends that love gross movies. Oh, 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 oh,